0: Hey, it's Nora. We have some TTFA live shows coming up in May in Seattle and San Francisco. So go to ttfa.org slash events and get your tickets now before Hans and I get too famous and refuse to make eye contact with any of you. I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. And this is Mandy. She is a TTFA listener.
1: Hi, Nora. It's kind of crazy that I'm talking to you right now. It's so weird, right? I love it. Mandy
0: had reached out to our show a few months ago. We have a place on our website to do that, if you're wondering. And Mandy had mentioned a story about her mother. She wanted to talk about her mom. And Hans and I love moms. We have mothers of our own. So we said, yes. But Mandy's mom, Karen, is not like my mom, and she's not like Hans's mom. Hans wants me to tell you that he's our producer, just in case you're new to the show. So our producer Hans's mom is also not like Mandy's mom, Karen, because Mandy's mom is dead. Karen has been dead since Mandy was a toddler. And Mandy is 28 years old now, so she doesn't remember her mom. Mandy's situation is really similar to my son Ralph's situation in a way. Ralph lost his dad, my husband Aaron, before Ralph turned two. And Ralph doesn't remember Aaron. He doesn't have his own memories of Aaron. But I talk about Aaron all the time. We have photos of him all around our house, including above Ralph's bed. And if you ask Ralph about his family, he'll tell you that he has two dads. One is dead and... The other is my current husband, Matthew, who Ralph calls Maddie Daddy. If I weren't remarried, Ralph would still tell you that he has a dad. Because he does have a dad. Aaron is still his dad, even if he's dead. Even if Ralph doesn't remember him. I don't know if I'm 100% doing the whole dead parent thing right, but I'm doing it the way I'm doing it, And as a reminder to all of us, those of us who are messed up by our parents and those of us who are parents and are 100% guaranteed to be currently messing up, most of us really are doing our best. And another reminder, sometimes our best isn't great. Mine, yours, or Dave's. Dave is Mandy's dad, and he is a cowboy, a real Wyoming guy. Dave is the kind of guy who can say to you, now, that was the first time I broke my back. And it just kind of makes sense that, of course, he'd have broken his back more than once and that it's not really even that big of a deal to say that. Karen was what Dave called a real lady, which is not something I've ever been called. Karen was always put together, and everyone loved her especially Dave.
2: We just, for some reason, clicked. A cowboy and a lady, I don't know. It's crazy combination. But something about it, we just got along great. We never ran out of things to talk about. I think we brought out the best in both of us. It made me totally want to do better for just because I was around her, I know that.
0: You know that Mandy's mom is dead. But what you really should know about Karen is that she wanted to have Mandy so, so, so much. She waited 10 years for Mandy. And at that point, she'd given up on trying to get pregnant. She'd given up on adoption.
2: We just decided that we weren't going to fight it anymore. We were going to be childless, and we had each other. So it was all good.
0: And that is when they got the news that would change everything.
2: It was very tiny, uh, maybe half the size of a pea, uh, just kind of under her armpit, just off the edge of her breast.
0: Were you worried about it?
2: Uh, The minute I felt it, I told her about it. And that was the first time she'd felt it.
0: Dave and Karen go to the doctor because, FYI, that is what you should do when you feel a lump in your breast.
2: Uh, we're sitting next to each other. I mean, uh, we're both very nervous to figure out what's going to happen, uh, just basically hoping for the best and just hoping that this is just a little cyst underarm and, um, you know, that uh, life would go on as as we knew it at that point. We'd just uh, keep plugging away at everything we were doing and just be happy. And
0: The doctor comes in and just launches right in with the results of the testing they've done.
2: She had lymphoma. And uh, the prognosis, it was definitely curable. Uh, they didn't find that it. it was a lot of cancer in her system at the time.
0: It was curable because there are treatments. There's radiation, other things. It's basically poison, but that's okay. Karen's an adult person, and the cancer is early, so she should be okay. But then, the doctor adds another piece of information, almost as an afterthought. Besides cancer, the blood test shows that Karen is almost three months pregnant.
2: And it's like, drop your jaw to the ground because you don't know how to feel. And then, 100 million questions come up like, what do we do now? What can we do? What's the best options? One moment.
0: Two huge, life-changing things. Blood cancer and pregnancy. If she had just one of the two, if she had blood cancer or she was pregnant, the path would be clear. But both at the same time, that's where those 100 million questions come in. Can Karen do treatment while she's pregnant? What will chemo do to a fetus? Will it survive? How much will the cancer spread if they take the next six months to bring the baby to term? How much do they want this baby? How much do they want to kill this cancer? For Karen, this choice isn't even a choice. It's a no-brainer. She will have the baby and then she'll do the treatment. And that makes Dave nervous.
2: If she puts off doing anything with the cancer, is it going to make be that big a deal? But
0: Dave loves Karen, and he goes with it. Now, building a baby and having cancer at the same time is hard, and Karen is weak and she's struggling. When she's about six months pregnant, she's already on bed rest. One day, Dave is home, taking care of her, when he hears something odd.
2: All of a sudden, I heard a bunch of rocks. that sounded like hail hitting the side of the house. And I looked out the window, and a tornado was touching down, probably between 50 and 75 yards from the house. And rocks were just pelting the side of the house.
0: Dave runs upstairs and brings his pregnant wife down to safety. Real cowboy stuff, right? And when the danger of the tornado has passed, they realize the house is fine. But there's something else happening. Karen's water is broken. The baby is coming way, way, way too early. Changes in pressure systems can do that, apparently.
2: And so I rushed her into the emergency room and come to found out Mandy was in distress. The cord, umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck. Her heart rate was just skyrocketing. She was choking to death. And if it hadn't been for that tornado, I don't think any of this would have happened.
0: By, I don't think any of this would have happened, he means Mandy wouldn't have survived. The actors do their thing and get her out of there, but she is tiny when she's born. She's 2.6 pounds. And she's born the day after Karen's birthday.
2: She's the tiniest little thing I'd ever seen. Screaming her lungs out, pissed off at the world, and uh, you could tell there was just fight in her.
0: Mandy is airlifted to a bigger hospital, and Karen starts chemo and radiation immediately. So now, Dave's wife, who has cancer, is in a hospital in Wyoming, and his premature baby is in a hospital in Colorado. So he splits himself, his heart, his time, to be with them both.
2: I can remember the first time I changed her diaper when I went to Denver. I picked her up between my thumb and index finger, and there wasn't an inch between where her butt was, and rolled her over into her diaper. It was the smallest diaper I'd ever seen.
0: Dave's mother stays in Colorado and sends pictures back every day that he can't be there with Mandy. And remember, this is pre-Facebook, pre-Snapchat, late 80s, so she's sending actual physical photos every day so that Dave has something to show Karen in her hospital bed. Karen receives her treatment and leaves the hospital for home, but she's still bedridden and too weak to visit Mandy. And then, at six months old, Mandy is nearly five pounds and finally gets the okay to go home to Wyoming. She'll be airlifted back. But she does need a homecoming outfit.
2: And finding a dress that tiny? Impossible.
0: I just love the idea of this, like, cowboy walking through the, the fancy dress departments of little kid stores. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and uh, you give up on the little kids, so then you go to dolls, and then you get out of dolls because they're too big. And I found a little polar bear, a little wooden carved polar bear that had a little red dress on, and that's what I bought for her. Oh my God! And she swam in it, and uh, the whole bear stood when it was when it's setting up stands about maybe six and a half inches tall. Just a tiny little bear. I've still got it at the house wearing the dress.
0: At home, Karen is looking forward to meeting Mandy. She hasn't seen her since she was born. This is from the audio of an old VHS tape that Mandy has, one of the only recordings she has of her mother. You can hear just how excited and just how sick Karen is.
1: Mandy is 4 pounds, 15 and... I'll baby tomorrow. Yeah, I, I will be bringing home a, cream. I'll, bringing
2: home a cream. I'll be bringing home a little cream. Yeah, she was pretty happy, but she was just as scared as I was. Still not knowing, and then being so sick.
0: Karen continues chemo and radiation treatment and tries to be a mom to her tiny, tiny baby.
2: She was too weak to hold her, and she couldn't walk around with her. She was in a wheelchair, so when she did hold her, she just set her down in a chair and then brought Mandy up in the chair with her, and that was about all she could do to begin with.
0: Dave starts work again, and he's not doing a nine to five. This man works. He does construction. He was a miner at one point, person in a mine. Anyway, Dave does intense work 12 hours a day, six to seven days a week, with a commute that adds three hours onto each day. And family members come and go and offer little bits of help when they can, but really, a lot of this is on Dave. And he doesn't mind. This is him taking care of the wife that he adores and the baby that they so desperately wanted. And after a couple of months, Karen gets better. She actually goes into remission. She gets to celebrate Mandy's first birthday in August. A month later, in September, her health starts to decline. And then it starts to decline quickly. By October, Karen's back in the hospital. And Dave essentially moves in there, too. He's there all the time.
2: Yeah, I never left the hospital the last two weeks. I slept there and stayed there. And at nights was the only time that we would actually get a little chance to where her parents weren't around or a bunch of people weren't around and we could actually talk. and talk about what was going on and I don't know I I guess I was just still just mad at the world and it wasn't all sinking in and I couldn't believe it was happening and didn't know what I was going to do or how I was going to do it or even if I could do it
0: what did what did Karen say
2: she just kept telling me I could and that it was going to be okay But I still wouldn't have traded any of that 10 years for anything. It was was just really hard to deal with. And the guilt was something that just tore me up. Why couldn't it have been me instead of her? But the room room was so busy with people standing around in there. uh, I finally just had to tell everybody to leave so I could say goodbye.
0: I had to do that too.
2: The last thing I think I I said to her um, before she closed her eyes was, it's okay, goodbye. (laughs) There was no reason for her to fight it anymore. She just closed her eyes and left.
0: That was November 14th, 1990. Mandy is just shy of 15 months old. Now, Dave is a single, grieving dad to a little girl. Personally, I've been there, but if you haven't been, it's hard to even think about, and I don't blame you for not wanting to.
1: Uh, I've thought about how my dad must have felt in this situation, and I just can't even imagine, because I can't imagine the desperation and the shock and like being a dad back then and having this feeling of like having to raise a daughter without the love of your life. Where do you even begin?
2: You know, it went from one love of my life to my to my next love of my life. And, and basically, that's where it stayed. And I was basically too afraid to let my heart out there because I didn't want to feel the pain again uh, from losing somebody or anything, so. I guess I just put it all off, and so I wasn't home a heck of a lot. It was, it was pretty hard on me. I got to drinking pretty bad. Uh, I broke my back in January, uh, trying to teach a snow machine how to fly, which really didn't work out that good. But uh, I ended up having to ride the snow machine back out five miles. The doctor put me in a drug-induced coma for the next 10 days because I had so many pieces of bone in my spinal column and everything else. They said, I should have never walked. I should have never moved. That's when I first realized that Mandy was here for me. It wasn't. I was here for her. So, I don't know. She's been my miracle ever since.
0: Dave is mentally and physically broken, but the pain and the shock loosen him up from his grief just long enough to realize that he can't be like this. He can't be drinking and snowmobiling and acting like he's got nothing to lose. He's got to get it together and be there for Mandy. We're going to take a little break now. We'll be right back. Hans, comma, senior producer, have you ever wanted to wear a terrible thanks for asking shirt and a terrible thanks for asking hat while drinking your fair trade tea from a terrible thanks for asking mug while you wear your terrible thanks for asking pin and write your feelings down in your terrible thanks for asking journal? He nodded. We'll take that as a yes. You can be like Hans or me and do all of those things by buying all of those things at ttfa.org slash shop. Would you believe it if I told you my dad wrote infomercials? Can you see the natural, genetic gift flying through? You can shop them and support our show at ttfa.org slash shop. And we're back. Dave is lying in a hospital bed, having just realized that he has a daughter who needs him. He spends the next year getting better and taking care of Mandy, and she really is his miracle. He is delighted by her.
2: She was walking when she was seven pounds something. She looked like a newborn baby, and people would just freak out when they turn around and she was she'd get up from the table and run across it. Oh my gosh.
0: Talking with Dave, I can feel how much Dave loves Mandy the same way I could feel how much Dave loves Karen. But this version of Dave that I'm talking to now isn't how Mandy has always experienced her dad or her mom. Dave wasn't always this guy talking openly about his dead wife, the mother of his miracle baby.
1: Because my dad never talked about it, I felt like I couldn't talk about it. And I felt like he didn't want to talk about it. But I also didn't know how to approach that. Like, How do I approach a topic of conversation, a huge topic of conversation that has never been talked about? And, like, as a child, I didn't understand that, nor did I feel like I could facilitate that. I never had, like, photos out of her, ever. Like, I didn't have any in my bedroom. I didn't have any hidden in a book. I never I never got a picture of her. I mean, this is what made me feel like it was, like, a hushed topic that wasn't supposed to be talked about, is because she wasn't anywhere.
0: When Mandy says that her dad never talked about her mom, I mean, she means never, and that was kind of a common theme. Nobody talked to Mandy about her mom.
1: Like one of the first times that I remember actually realizing that I didn't have a mom, I was like four or five. My grandma, I remember, opened up a drawer and pulled out a picture of her. She's stunningly beautiful. I mean, I think she's probably the most beautiful person I've ever seen. She's just gorgeous. I mean, she's, she, is, she truly is a lady. I think all that was said was that this is your mom and you may not understand it, but she isn't here. I don't exactly remember the words and she might have not even said anything. I feel like she might have just showed me the picture and I just like that internal conversation of me just knowing fell into place. Of course, this is exactly why I feel like I'm missing something. This is exactly why I don't feel like I necessarily fit in like my family that I'm in.
0: Remember when I said that none of us have any idea what we're doing? Dave had no idea what he was doing. He thought he was doing the right thing. He had remarried two years after Karen's death to a woman with kids of her own. And nobody gave him a clear protocol for what to do when you blend two broken families together.
2: When you go through one family and move into another and you've got a woman in the house, you don't usually hang pictures your ex-wife up for one thing. So that's one thing that you know, if she was looking for pictures around. And she was young enough at the time, and when she did spend time with her, her mom's parents, I just figured that, for the most part, they was telling her pretty much all about her mom. And she never questioned me, so I just never really did anything about it.
0: You know what I was thinking about at this point? The Harry Harlow attachment theory experiment. It's very cruel and very famous. It's from the 50s, that thing with the baby monkeys who were given fake mothers made from wire and cloth. And these baby monkeys, their instinct was just to cling to what was available. Because that's what babies need. So Mandy was like a little baby rhesus monkey who was clinging to what was available to her, which wasn't much. So... That moment where Mandy was standing with her grandmother and seeing a photo of her mom for the first time. This is not the moment where everything changes and the floodgates open and Mandy goes home and is like, Dad, I know about Mom. And they hug and he opens a trunk of keepsakes and they heal together and Karen just becomes a part of their daily lives. I mean, Mandy's like four or five. Not super capable of that yet. So instead, their family just keeps growing up, but mostly separately. Dave keeps working all the time, and when he's home, he's such a great dad to Mandy. But he's gone a lot, and Mandy really doesn't feel like she fits in with this new family. She's really lonely. So she starts to do what most people would do when they don't love their reality— she starts to long for what could have been for the mother she could have had she develops her own relationship to karen filling in her gaps of information with wishes and ideals and what she imagines her mother would have been if she had been around
1: i think even that having the lack of information i feel like has always created like a huge desire and yearning to know who she was and so Not only am I, like, missing this huge part of my life that I've never known, everything is unknown, you know? Like, I had no information about her. All I had was pictures and, like, very small, short memories from other people that would tell me little tiny things about her. So, a huge void on top of a void.
0: When Mandy was 12... Dave and his second wife divorced. So this is a great place for them to have that healing dad-to-daughter talk, right? To bring Karen out of the trunk of photos and into the light. Not yet. Not yet. Suddenly, Dave and Mandy are alone again. And Karen just stays in that unspoken place between them.
1: I don't think he ever dealt with Karen's death. But I think that all of that finally caught up to him.
2: Well, you got time to sit and contemplate and I guess feel sorry for yourself again. Still, when you do have five minutes to yourself, you do a little self-evaluation that you probably didn't want to do in the first place.
1: Maybe failing at a marriage and just realizing that you have a whole bunch of grief that you never dealt with. I mean, being single again and trying to find somebody that cared for him like he wanted to be cared for. And I think he just tried to find that and started drinking again and wanted to feel whole again.
0: Dave's way of trying to feel whole wasn't digging into his grief. It was drinking and women.
2: For some reason, and I couldn't tell you what, women have always liked me. You know, I I don't have any trouble talking to them. I'm very real with them.
1: I mean, he dated a lot and was out at the bar a lot. Um, and so I feel like I was home a lot by myself and he ended up, I mean, getting one girlfriend in particular that he really enjoyed and really loved. And she lived in town and we lived out in the country and my dad had given me a checkbook and, you know, would let me write checks for clothes or groceries or what have you. And, Um, I remember at that time, you know, I was making appointments for him and doing stuff. So I grew up pretty quickly where I was pretty self-reliant, but he was staying with her a lot and I would just see him, you know, come home every once in a while and pack a bag and go back in and stay with her for a while. And finally I told him, um, you know, if he doesn't come and live back out at the house that I was going to move out. And so we tried living together for a little bit and He ended up bringing his girlfriend out, and it just didn't work out. And so I moved out and didn't live with him my junior and senior year.
0: But here's the thing about this family dynamic, which I think is true in most family dynamics. That's not how Dave saw this story at all.
2: Her memory of, you know, me never being home. It was the same memory I had that uh, she was out running around and she was out with her friends and she had basketball practice and she had games and she had this to go to. And I was sitting at home and doing nothing by myself. And so when she came home, she expected me to be there. Well, you know, she didn't tell me she was going to be home and I didn't tell her I was going to be home. So we were just never home at the same time. She was... Uh, basically giving me an ultimatum to either get rid of my girlfriend or she was leaving and up to that point if I had a girlfriend that came around she drove them away and it didn't take her very long to her, you know, she had her school and stuff and so she never seen that I was ever really around and probably didn't think that I cared but uh, you know, so it was it was hard all the way around but It was just as hard on me as it was her to not have her around.
0: Whatever the truth is in those stories, and I mean, it is usually a combination of a lot of things. Mandy was still a teenager who was fending for herself. And that is a hell of an age to have a dead mom and an absentee father.
1: I mean, just for instance, like I don't, I think I learned about menstruation and periods and how to do all that from friends at school uh yeah yeah oh
0: my gosh I mean the first time that I uh put a tampon in I couldn't get it out and also wasn't totally in my mom had to come in and pull it out for me okay so I can only imagine how hard it is to do that stuff without a mom can only imagine So, like, a friend had to show you how a tampon works, basically. I don't even
1: think they showed me. I think they just told me, and I just figured it out on my own. It was pretty pretty rough.
0: Uh, Can we hand the phone to your dad?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Hello.
0: Hi, Dave. I'm just talking about tampons with your daughter.
2: (laughs) I know. I heard that. A little rough for the dad to know what to tell a girl on that, too, though.
0: As an outsider, I can see two lonely people with a huge space that could be filled with a few difficult conversations. But Mandy is still a teenager who needs her dad to be a parent, and Dave is an adult who never had the time or space to really grieve, but he's still supposed to be the adult, and the adults should notice when things get this bad and should be the ones to try to fix it.
1: It was right around Christmas time, and... You know desperation and loss and loneliness around holidays is really hard and I remember my dad had made plans with his girlfriend's family and I wasn't invited and well my dad says I was invited but I guess I didn't feel invited um I feel like I mean all of their things I mean they had family photos together and I wasn't in them and I had just always felt left out with them. Um, Wasn't really included. If they did include me, I felt like it was because they felt like they needed to, not because they wanted to. They were out of town, and I I remember I got really drunk and went out to our house and took all the pictures off the wall and just, like, was really drunk. And, I mean, sorry, this is hard for me to talk about. I remember sitting on my dad's couch and... I knew where his guns were at. And I remember thinking that I wanted to kill myself because I wasn't wanted or loved, and it was just a really hard time in my life. And, you know, I thought it through for a moment, and I think I ended up passing out.
0: After this the lowest of the low points for Mandy, things get worse between her and Dave. If they weren't seeing eye-to-eye before, they definitely aren't now. Mandy moves in with Dave's mom, and they basically just stop seeing one another.
2: And she didn't remember, but every day I would talk to my mom and uh, find out what she was doing and everything else. She didn't think I was paying attention to her, but... I called up there every day to find out what all was going on. You know, she had her school and stuff, and so she never seen that I was ever really around and probably didn't think that I cared. But, you know, she needed to learn that at one point, you can't tell me who I'm going to be with, even if it is a bad choice.
0: This entire time, Mandy and Dave weren't talking about the person whose death had set all of this into motion. Death doesn't delete a person. Someone's absence can be a form of presence, a nameless void that if you don't address it, will just suck you right in. The silence around Karen's death created a void directly between Dave and Mandy. One that sucked them both in, but didn't let them see each other, didn't let them really be there for each other. So how do they get from there, where Mandy is contemplating suicide and not even living with her dad, to this moment, where they're talking about Karen in a conference room in Wyoming, while a public radio producer sits near them, very quietly, holding a microphone while Mandy and Dave pass a telephone back and forth so they can talk to me.
2: We both got a stubborn streak that's terrible, and neither one of us give in no matter what. (laughs) So it did take a while for us to come back together.
0: Well, it's a real cowboy story, actually, and it's going to involve a lot of broken bones. Mandy had finished high school and then college and joined the Peace Corps when she was 24. She spent two years in South Africa, and she kept in touch with her dad, but she still felt like she was the one doing the parenting, and she wasn't wrong. One day, Dave was driving Mandy's car and ends up in a ditch.
2: I rolled a car, and when I woke up, it was sitting across my waist uh, sitting down on top of me the wheels on both sides of the car where I was at was completely bent underneath and I couldn't move I was looking around I was looking down at myself going oh my god I'm looking down at myself I'm dead or did I die and a couple hours later I woke up again I was up up, walking around out around the car having have no idea how I got out from under it and decided I I was a few hundred yards from my house and it was time to go home.
0: Turns out he was not okay. He had broken his neck, not even for the first time. Now, across the world, Mandy is learning that her dad has had a terrible accident and has broken his neck, and on top of that, her grandpa, her dad's dad, has died, so she gets a leave from the Peace Corps to head back for the funeral and to take care of her dad. While she's home... She goes to the doctor, just a little checkup, checkup on this pain she's been experiencing in her hip for the past couple months. And it turns out her hip is broken. If that is not proof of her father's daughterness, if that is a term, I don't know what is.
1: He was in a neck brace and I was in crutches. So <laughs> neither one of us could really take care of each other. We were just kind of suffering together.
0: Now, As a listener, how much do you like the symbolism of a vast distance bringing them together? How about the symbolism of the two of them with their broken bones sitting around healing their bodies and also healing their relationship with one another? I like it. I like it a lot. We're going to go with it.
1: I mean, our separation, I think that us not having access to each other finally made us realize what that access to each other truly meant. And like when we got time together, what that meant. I can't say it was like one moment in time where things just switched, but I think it was a progression of us not being together and being so far away and not being able to have each other.
0: They're still making up for all those years of silence. Mandy is still trying to form a picture of who her mother is. She still longs for her and misses her. Karen went from secret to an idol.
1: A mom's the one that's gonna be calling you for your breakups. A mom's gonna be the one sending you care packages. A mom's gonna be the one helping you pick out brows and underwear or, you know, holding you or being affectionate. And I never got that. I never got any of that. And I think I'm getting to an age where I'm gonna start, you know, potentially getting engaged or married or having kids. And those are the times that I want her to be there and she's not gonna be there.
0: Mandy also won't have any screaming arguments with Karen over her dating life. She won't resent Karen for all the ways Karen messed up raising her. She won't argue over politics or religion with Karen. And I'm not saying Mandy's lucky her mom is dead. I'm not trying to minimize this longing. I wouldn't trade my mom and the teenage years where she once threw my Destiny's Child City out the window of our moving car. I wouldn't trade that for anything. You do owe me a Destiny's Child City, mother. I'm trying to point out that motherhood is not just a source of comfort in life. It's as complicated as any other relationship because mothers are just as complicated as any other human. And Dave understands Mandy's longing because he adored Karen, but he also knew her. He knew her as a person, a real person with real flaws and a real personality. She was wonderful. He loves her. And she was also a person.
2: By setting your standards and what you think that your parent is going to be so high that she's setting herself up for failure because she's looking for that perfect parent, which because she didn't have one there, it's totally understandable. But to think that all parents are going to be like that is a total misconception of the way the world is. If you've got one good parent or a good grandmother, good grandfather that can guide you along, you just got to make do with what you have and be thankful for what you do have in life. Karen
0: had told Dave that he could do it. He could raise Mandy without her because he had to. The problem isn't just that Karen died, it's that Dave raised Mandy without Karen, without the memory of her, without the context of her loss, without Mandy knowing that she did have a mother, a dead mother, but a mother who had wanted Mandy, who had loved Mandy, who had fought to be there for her.
1: It's frustrating because everybody else got to experience her but me, and I just don't think it's fair. I mean, my life is completely different because she's not here.
0: In a lot of ways, Mandy and Dave are just now getting to know one another. And one way they do that is through Mandy getting to know Karen, seeing her parents' wedding photos, asking about her mom. As sweet as it is to talk with them, and as supportive as they truly are of each other now, they're still working on turning that void back into a mother, back into Karen. And that may take forever. Our interview was the longest conversation that Dave and Mandy had ever had about Karen. And when we were done asking questions, Mandy turned into the interviewer.
1: So I guess I just have a hard time... This is kind of where I get like angry, I guess. But like, in her knowing that she was never going to be around, like, did she ever have anything to leave behind for me, like a note? Okay, Dad, where is this tape? And you, ask, up until now, you've ask, said that it was not. Grandparents,
2: she left you a tape, and it should be in those. It's either in those uh, chests.
1: Like an audio tape?
2: A uh, cassette tape.
1: And so, were you there when she recorded it? No. But I you're f- I've
2: never listened to it. It was for you.
1: You're for sure that she yes, left me something? I know she did. So, why did you, why all along did you say that she didn't, ha- like nothing was there for me and she never made anything for me?
2: I I don't know. I wasn't sure, I guess, what you meant, but uh, I know for a fact that she made you an audio tape. You need to go look through that stuff one thing at a time and actually see what's in there. But there's nowhere else I can dig at the house and find anything.
1: I feel like even not having that, I mean, I'm probably going to go home now frantically searching through those things and listening to tapes, but I just, I guess I have been longing for that.
2: As long as you never forget, she's always with you. Even though you don't think you know where you do. She'll always be with you.
1: I'm just selfish, and I want more.
2: I know. I can't blame you for that. But she'll always be with you. And I know you'll never forget her. If she's held right there in your heart right where it's the only safe place to keep her it's work to fill
0: in missing pieces to build a bridge it's work to heal a relationship it's not all hugs and laughter if you're wondering about the tape mandy has not found it yet she searched everywhere But even if Mandy finds that mysterious cassette tape, even if it holds everything she always wished her mother would have said to her, that tape won't cure this longing of hers. Mandy will always miss Karen, and so will Dave. Now, at least, they can say that to each other.
2: Okay, Mandy's got another question.
1: With knowing that like we're doing a podcast for Karen and like telling her sacrifice and your sacrifice for Mother's Day and trying to, in a sense, continue her legacy, what would you want to say to her or what would you want to leave behind in memory for this podcast and for the world to hear about her or to her?
2: Happy Mother's Day. We haven't forgotten.
1: <sighs>
2: Gosh. <laughs>
0: This one's for the moms. All the moms stepmoms, birth moms, adoptive moms, foster moms, hopeful moms, grieving moms, bad moms, mother figures, dead and alive. This is a fake holiday, but happy Mother's Day. We love you. If you want to see a bunch of pictures of Karen and Mandy and Dave, check out our Instagram at TTFA Podcast. The family has been so kind in sharing a whole lot of photos, including one a teeny tiny mandy riding a big horse. It's incredible. This has been terrible, thanks for asking. I'm Nora McNerny. Our senior producer is Hans Buto. Muna Sheikh is our intern and just has a heck of a smile. Hannah Meacock Ross is our project manager, really the wind on top of our wings, as Luke Burbank pointed out to us. Um, Special thanks to Tom Sheck, Tracy Mumford, and Suzanne Schaefer for doing a listen with us this week. Our theme music is by Joffrey Wilson. This is APM, American Public Media.